If you listen to enough of this podcast, you might be concerned that we're approaching a major collapse of governments, financial markets, or even the Western developed world in its entirety. So when the revolution comes, do you want to be out of shape and unable to defend yourself? Or do you want to be fighting fit? Why not try Fight Camp? Fight Camp is interactive at-home boxing. They bring the best workout in the world into your home and make it fun. Explore thousands of workouts led by expert trainers with decades of experience teaching proper boxing form and technique. Fight Camp has live punch counting stats that motivate you by counting every punch throughout your workout and pushing you to meet goals every single round. As you progress, you'll unlock achievements and can go head-to-head against other members, whether they're across the country or across your living room. One of the best things about Fight Camp is that it makes boxing accessible to everyone, no matter what fitness level you're at, what your age is, or what your experience with boxing is, you can do it. And you're going to have a great time as well. So join the biggest boxing community in the world without ever leaving your home. Fight Camp packages start at just $99. They either offer some great financing options, so you can get started for just $9 a month. To get everything you need, go to fightcamp.com forward slash chatter to learn more. That's fightcamp.com forward slash chatter. C-H-A-T-T-E-R. Um, but anyway, uh, first off, thanks for getting in touch, man, um, and sending me your book. Um, it was a really good read. Uh, really enjoyed it. I mean, a lot of the stuff is, is I'm realizing that there's like a whole world of people who are what, who, who are basically like completely aware that a lot of the financial system is just fraud. And yes. yet, and yet that nothing seems to be done about it. By anyone who's in any position of power, like it seems like it's been quite a, a substantial problem for quite a long time, and yet yeah. nothing's happened. So I mean, um, hopefully, hopefully we'll get to b- the bottom of that in the next hour. I don't know. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> but um, sure. so uh, yeah, let's let, let, let's just um, roll into things. Um, so so yeah. Um, Welcome, everyone, uh, to another episode of Chatter. Today, I'm here with uh, Stuart Englert, who is the author of the book Rigged. Um, welcome to the show, man. Thanks a lot, Josh. Good to be here. Good to be speaking to someone across the pond. Uh, I, uh, I, I've had several uh, proposals to be interviewed by people in Great Britain, but it hasn't happened yet. But I have sold books there. In fact, a couple in the last couple of days. Oh, really? That's cool. I mean, I... Uh, you never know. A few people might buy it off of, off of this. I guess we'll see. So it's called Rigged, Exposing the Largest Financial Fraud in History. So um, just for people who maybe would like to know what the book's about you and a bit about you, do you want to give them like 90 seconds on like who you are and why you wrote the book? Sure, absolutely. Well, I, I'm a journalist by trade. Uh, I have a journalism degree from Indiana University, and I spent 30 years working on uh, small to medium-sized daily newspapers in Indiana and Idaho. And then I, I moved to Tennessee as a as a aspiring songwriter and ended up uh, working for a couple national uh, national magazines here. Uh, got laid off in 2014 and, and went into book publishing, actually wrote an expose about my um, my uh, 14 years at at a magazine, you know, and, and saw some fraud there and corruption. Um, then, I, you know, I got in, I don't know, Probably 15 years ago, I started following the Gold Antitrust Action Committee. I don't know if you're familiar with GATA. Uh, oh, yes, you are, yeah. because you interviewed uh, Chris Powell a few weeks ago, didn't you? Yeah. So anyway, I started reading their website, and I 
um, I guess it was about three years ago, I contacted Chris Powell and I said, Chris, uh, I'm publishing books. Would you like to write a book about the manipulation of the precious metal markets and the price suppression scheme? He said, you know, I'm too busy uh, keeping things going here at GATA, doing my daily posts and everything. So uh, I guess it was 2019, late 2019. I said, you know what? I'm going to do this. So uh, I was I was a little skeptical at first, but as I dove into all the documentation that they uh, compiled and I started doing my own research, I realized that this was a valid story and it needed to be told. So I ended up writing this book and uh, I, I wrote it as a primer, if you will, uh, an introductory book. Uh, that the average person could understand. I think that's the one one of the reasons this story is not well told is because it's it's told by people who talk over most people's heads, and and it's it's convoluted. It is. It's complicated. And I tried to make it as simple as possible and write it in terms, or at least terms that people would understand, or at least explain the terms. I hope hope you understood that. Uh, the way it was written but yeah, that was no, my it was, it was it was it was yeah really really easy to to digest i mean like obviously i'm not the perfect case study because like I'm, I'm looking at a lot of this stuff at the minute but like i find it really easy to follow man i i like skim through it, it was it was yeah like very very easy to digest well that's that's what i intended and uh since that time i mean it's been out almost three years uh, but I've sold, you know, books around the world in 11 foreign countries, and it's only published in English. And yet I've sold them in India and Japan and Italy and France. So uh, and Germany. Um, so, you know, it's it's a subject that is that people are interested in when they see what's happening to our monetary system, especially as in inflation is igniting that mm. and things like are happening over in UK as in the last week or so you know people are asking questions and that's good because that's what needs to happen so in a nutshell that's my background that's how i published the book and um uh, hope that hope that explains it yeah no that's that's a great intro so um one of the first things that you said in the book that i was like just like a tad perplexed by was uh the, the idea that um defending the dollar like that suppressing the prices of gold and silver was essentially defending the dollar and uh, yeah i was i was hoping you could like explain a little bit more about about how you like exactly what you mean by that i sure can i think the first thing we need to know josh or understand is that money is a confidence game okay if people lose uh confidence trust in their currency their national currency um they look for alternatives. Um, whether you're buying something, selling something, trading something, you're going to look for something else. And gold and silver have been money for centuries, thousands of years, actually. Um, and they are competition for the US dollar and all the other fiat currencies around the world that are backed by nothing but confidence, okay? Consumer confidence. You have to have confidence. In the last week, the British pound, some people in Britain have lost confidence with the pound, right? They're looking for alternatives. If gold and silver prices rise too rapidly, people will rush to buy the metals, okay? Exchanging their 
fiat currency, the, the currency that they're losing confidence in for something else that they think that, that they can preserve their wealth with. This further drives up metal prices and reveals the declining confidence in, in the currency. Okay. So it's kind of self-fulfilling, right? And that's why the price manipulators like volatility in the precious metals markets, because the vol volatility discourages interest and investment in gold and silver, which compete with the fiat currencies. Does that make sense? They're, the fiat currency is, is what, we, what we use right now, but people are losing confidence in it. Inflation, a decreased purchasing power. They're looking for alternatives. And the people who manage the fiat currencies and issue them don't want us turning to gold and silver. Mm. Okay, so uh, actually, let's let's do this early because I, I, I talked to Chris Pyle about a lot of things, about gold, about... Um, like the the possibility of of Russia or other countries like going back on the gold standard, but the thing I didn't actually talk to him about was like cryptocurrencies or or Bitcoin, which is often talked about like by people and like by a lot of people who have had have had in the show as like the alternative monetary like store of value. Do you see that as being like a competitor to 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 precious metals or or like gold? Like it's talked about like digital gold. Absolutely, mm. yes. The cryptocurrencies, if people are putting their fiat dollars or yen or uh, pounds in cryptocurrencies, they're, they're giving more weight or trust in those cryptocurrencies than they are the, the government-issued currencies. Absolutely. So, like, what, what does it mean? So we talk about like people not trusting the pound or the dollar, right? And we talk about you know the like you said over the last week um, on, on the announcement of some like very dubious economic policy, uh, the the pound like took a took a bit of a hit or a serious hit. Uh, it's thankfully recovered since. Uh, mostly, right. I think it seems like a on the U turn of of that policy, but also because the Bank of England has has basically announced that they will turn the money printer back on. So that people are suddenly confident again by us going back down the road that led us here. But anyway, <laughs> aside from that, like, I guess the, th the thing that confuses me is like, okay, say people are like less confident in the dollar or the pound, right? Do you really see a world in which they don't, they, they're no longer just the, the, the government issued standard currencies are no longer the thing that we all use as an exchange of value is is that like a realistic future or is it more about just defending the value of of that currency so that it doesn't like inflate and debase out, out of existence if you look at monetary history currencies come and go i mean many many current most of the currencies that were ever created are no longer in existence so things change Nothing stays the same, and that includes um, that includes the monetary systems. You know, at one time the British pound was the world's reserve currency. You know, one time the Spanish dollar was. Well, the U.S. dollar has been the world's reserve currency since the nineteen uh, forties, I guess you'd say, and 
it's it's running long in the tooth, if you will. Um, its days are numbered. Uh, the United States government wants to maintain um, the U.S. dollar as the world's reserve currency, but it's being challenged. It's being challenged right now. If you look at the the war in Ukraine, this goes much beyond Ukraine and what's happening there. It's far-reaching, and it comes down to um, a battle between West and East over the entire monetary system and the future monetary system, and who's going to get to, to sit at the table and decide what the new monetary system is for the world. Um, that's why we see what's happening uh, in Ukraine and why sides are being drawn. And Putin and Russia and China, they are challenged the existing world monetary order. And someday it will change. Mm. I don't know if we have to go to a world war for this to happen. I mean, that's what happened the last time around. After World War II, that's when the Bretton Woods Agreement uh, was reached and the dollar came out on top as the world's reserve currency. Well, we still won the war. <laughs> the pound might have lost as the, the, the currency battle, but at least we were on the winning side. Um, right, precisely. But, but yeah, I, I, I take I take your point about about things about how that's that that's the time when when things changed when when um, they began to decouple from from gold. But what makes you say that the war in Ukraine is about the, this this like geopolitical like East versus West conflict? Like, do you mean that 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 is what it is all about? Or do you mean well, that it's I, like it, it's like a symbolic like representation of that larger sort of ideological struggle? It's it's kind of it's kind of the core of it. I mean, look what happened after Russia invaded Ukraine. Sanctions. Mm. What are sanctions other than economic warfare? Okay, they're imposing embargoes. They're they're trying to eliminate uh, limit uh, Russia's ability to finance its wars. I mean, here in the United States, uh, you know, U.S. senators were, were uh, introduced legislation to ban the sale or purchase of, of gold, uh, Russian gold. Um, this, the, whole, the whole system's monetary. Every, everything comes back to the monetary system. I mean, I, I'm kind of... How can I say this? Um, I look at most everything through a monetary uh, prism. But if you look what transpired after the Russian invasion of Ukraine, you can see how tight it is to finances and money and sanctioning Russia because it wants to sell oil in rubles, its own currency, and abandon the dollar. Yeah, it's so I'm, I'm currently actually just interestingly, I'm pulling up on on screen for the people who are watching. Um, I'm pulling up the the price of the ruble to the dollar over the past year, right. um, and since March, when it hit an all like a, a five year high, it is now at a five year low. So it's almost doubled in strength since uh, since March. Like dollar the the ruble against right. the dollar. The the 
the Western sanctions were intended to cripple the Russian economy and and harm the ruble, but they haven't been very effective. In fact, I, I think in some ways, this all these sanctions have backfired. I mean, the United States has imposed sanctions on other countries in the past when they attempted to sell oil or, or trade in anything other than the dollar. I mean, look at Libya, look at Iran, um, look at look at what happened to Saddam Hussein when he wanted to uh, sell oil in euros. He paid the price. And we're just seeing a continuation of that now. But the sanctions aren't being effective now because Russia's one of the primary uh, producers and exporters of petroleum and oil. Mm. And it's holding the chips, if you will. Though energy is the economy, if you will. The, the world needs energy. And Russia has it. And that's why Putin is holding a strong hand and the West is opposing it. And in, in doing so, he's challenging uh, the dollar as the world's reserve currency in trade. The world's reserve currency, the dollar is, is the most traded currency in the world. It's used in most foreign exchange. Um, that's declining and has declined, but the United States wants to keep uh, trade as much trade in dollars as possible. So when when we talk about like the dollar needing to be defended and and you talk about um this desire to keep it as the world's reserve currency and how it's a battle against i i mean i assume that the chinese yen is the uh the primary competitor really aside from maybe gold um but like surely shouldn't it just be that the the world's reserve currency is like the the largest economy and the most stable economy and the one that is the 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 one that like basically i'm saying why is it the us need to defend the dollar instead of just making the dollar strong do you know what i mean okay there's a problem with fiat currencies okay and if you want to research this look up uh robert triffin and the triffin dilemma he um he testified before Congress back in the 1960s and actually wrote a book predicting the demise of the US dollar. Because he said there wasn't enough gold to, to support the dollar, all the dollars that were being circulated around the world. That's why the United States had to leave the gold standard, the international gold standard ended in the 1970s. Because whoever has the reserve currency has to export dollars and import uh, manufactured goods, resulting in a trade deficit. Okay, the United States has been running trade deficits for essentially forty years. Okay, the United States has been living beyond its means. Um, living off the production of other countries while exchanging or giving them increasingly worthless dollars in return, okay? So China is likely getting very tired of that, right? They've been dumping their US-denominated debt 
Russia got rid of their U.S. denominated debt. At a certain point, the holder of the world's reserve currency um, has a trade imbalance so large that the others no longer want to play the game. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, um, so basically, you're saying that the 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 fact that like as as an as a need to export dollars, there's a need for them to import goods. Essentially, well, that's what we that's the exchange, right? Okay. So uh, when, when when the United States imports goods from China or oil from Saudi Arabia, what do we give them in exchange? Debt. They buy our they buy U.S. backed treasuries, securities, right, and also take our dollars. But at some point, they say, "No, wait a second. These dollars are losing value. With the more units of currency that are created." in a fiat system, the less value they have. So anyone holding massive dollars debt as we inflate the currency is left with a like a diminishing amount of money that they're actually owed because the debt becomes almost worthless. That's exactly right. And that's the basis of a fiat currency. Right. Okay. So, so how, let, let me yeah, yeah. Let me let me expand upon this. Uh, I've given this little thought. The fiat do dollar is the world's reserve currency. We know that each dollar is created by borrowing it into existence. Now, think about that. That's hard to wrap your head around. But every dollar that is created is borrowed into existence in this debt-based system. In other words. The currencies themselves are debt. They're debt notes. The debt-based system is like a Ponzi scheme that requires perpetual expansion. Otherwise, it will it will collapse upon itself. Okay. As the money supply grows through this credit expansion and debt accumulation, each currency unit loses purchasing purchasing power. As the dollar or any other currency loses purchasing power, people look for alternative investments to preserve their wealth. Gold and silver serve that purpose, Josh. That's why the central banks and treasury officials have a reason to suppress, suppress precious metal prices to defend their currencies. Mm. Okay, so then... One of the problems that I keep seeing pop up is is this the idea that the the yeah so the central banks are dumping their gold reserves in like the Fed the Fed most of all in order to suppress prices of gold. So like, do they have any left? Like, really? well, <laughs> that's interesting. You say that um, the Federal Reserve doesn't really have any gold. First of all, by law, the U.S. Treasury is supposed to hold the nation's gold, okay? Now, somewhere along the line, obviously, the U.S. Treasury has authorized the central bank to lease this gold. And since it hasn't been audited in who knows, in decades, who knows how long, uh, 
we don't really know how much gold is is held by the U.S. Treasury nowadays. Okay, um, it could be the eight thousand tons, as as reported, or that gold could be encumbered. Okay, it could be owed to somebody else through all these swaps and leases. You know. Um, so we really don't know, but Congress, now think about this, our elected officials here in the United States will not audit the Federal Reserve or the gold or the gold reserves. Now, why would that be? What are they hiding? They don't want to make an issue of it. They don't want to bring any attention to gold. So they avoid it. They ignore it. The, the U.S. government and the central bank, and as, along with the bullion banks, are in a symbiotic relationship, okay? They scratch one another's back, backs. The Congress deficit spends. The Federal Reserve creates, conjures the money out of air, thin air and lends it to the federal government. So they're in this symbiotic relationship. They need one another. They're dependent on one another. They can't exist without one another. Plus, they can point fingers at one another hmm. if something goes wrong. That's why the Federal Reserve was created in the first place. <laughs> so Congress wouldn't have to take responsibility. So the U.S. Treasury wouldn't have to be responsible. They've delegated the money-making authority to the Federal Reserve. Mm. Yeah, I mean, most people don't even realize this. Um it's 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 kind of disturbing, actually, the amount of power that they have. Um, but like, actually, you see, if a president just came in and was just like, "Do you know what? We need to find out. We need to know how much gold there really is." Like, do you think he could successfully get them to tell him? Or I think if the economic conditions are right, a new president could do that. Hmm. I think if you had runaway rampant inflation and that president wanted to truly uh, tell the people what was going on, it could happen. But thus far, no president has 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 had the, the gonads, if you will, mm. to address that. And the few elected leaders that we've had that are question it are maligned in the media are not covered or ignored. Um, Ron Paul was one of them. He tried to bring attention to these issues. He was ignored. We have a representative now out of out of West Virginia by the name of Alex Mooney, who's been asking serious questions of the U.S. Treasury and the and the Federal Reserve. And he can't get he can't get straight answers. In, in some cases, they won't even respond to him. And this is a democratically elected representative in Congress. So that tells you how much power uh, the money masters wield. Mm. Yeah, it's concerning. So you mentioned the swaps there. Um, I was hoping you could give me like a bit of a better understanding of, of how exactly the swaps works, because, yeah, that, that was the part of the book that I, I was finding hardest to wrap my head around. Right. And it's let me tell you, it's hard for me <laughs> to wrap my head around, too. Um, I'm not a gold trader. Uh, so the, the entire process is is convoluted to me. Okay, very convoluted and, and complicated, intentionally complicated. 
Okay. So most of us don't understand it. Mm. But to put it in simple terms, these swaps and leases that we talked about, swaps and leases and gold, are essentially a paper shuffle. Okay. Um, gold is exchanged for currency, though no physical metal ever changes hands mm. because the metal is borrowed or leased. I mean, that's that's hard to fathom, isn't it? I mean, how can you borrow or lease something without an exchange? But it happens because they're trading paper currencies and paper contracts, okay? There's no, ex and then they're pyramiding this, okay? Imagine pyramiding this. It's, it's, it's new forms of debt which they call derivatives, okay? Yeah. You've heard of the derivatives mountain, okay? Yes, yes, that's, yes just another, that's just another form of debt, Josh. I've heard uh, derivatives described as debt used as collateral to assume or take on more debt. Let's think about that. Um, you know, I've, I've, I pulled up um, a description of swaps from the international monetary fund if you'd like me to share it yeah sure that'd be great actually let me see how i can do this uh i haven't i haven't been on zoom in months i think do i have to pull the document up first and then share the screen uh yeah i believe so okay it says host disabled participant screen sharing can you ah yes i can fix that actually can you enable it for me figure out how to do this there we are make you the host there you go okay i pulled it up let's see but it's not showing security i clicked on it for some reason it's not showing up oh, Josh, wow. and i don't know um well let's not like if you you can you can read it are you if you have it there the one thing okay, i was yeah. i was gonna i was gonna point uh i just I did some googling there quickly while you were doing that so um i know it's worse now than than it was then but the, the notional value of outstanding derivatives at the end of june 2021 was 610 trillion dollars right and it's i've heard it estimated at quadrillions okay yes yeah, so, have I. so have yeah I. Oh, I don't know what the figure is but um, I'm going to read this from the International Monetary's uh, description of gold swaps, which are a form of a derivative. Gold swaps are typically undertaken when the cash-taking monetary authority has need of foreign exchange, that's foreign currency, but does not wish to sell outright its gold hold holdings. In that manner, gold is a leveraging device, okay? Convoluted, right? Okay, so but again... So they're basically giving them, so they're basically giving out, let me just see if I get, I've got, I've got to grasp this right. So they're basically giving them out like uh, bits of paper that say, this is what, this is for this bit of gold, but you don't actually have it. Yes. Basically. Right? That's exactly okay. right. That's, that's the way I, that's the way I understand it. And there's, there's also, I mean, swaps, leases, um, sometimes these are interchangeable. It, it depends which way the exchange is going as well, right? whether one's buying or selling, or I should say leasing, <laughs> leasing or, or borrowing. Um, but I, there, there's, there's something 
some information on my book that you, you might recall that confirms that the central banks are using these. Hmm. And I, I'll go back to a, a quote by former Federal Reserve Chairman Alan Greenspan, okay? Um, he testified before the House Banking Committee in uh, 1998. And here's, and, and it, was, it was during a hearing to determine whether derivatives should be regulated, okay? These financial derivatives should be regulated. And he opposed it, all right? <laughs> but in his testimony- Of course he did. Yes, in his testimony, he said this, central banks stand ready to lease gold in increasing quantities should the price rise. I want you to think about that. He admitted that the central banks are leasing gold, even though I just told you the Federal Reserve doesn't have any gold. That's the U.S. Treasury's gold. That's the American people's gold. But somewhere along the, the line, somebody authorized our central bank to lease the nation's gold. Okay. Think, let me break down the quote a little bit further. He used central banks, okay, which is plural. So he was speaking more than the federal about the Federal Reserve. He was spoke speaking, I presume, about other Western central banks, okay, that are colluding, if you will, working in partnership to lease this gold. And he's saying they're going to lease this gold should the price rise. Well, why would they lease gold if the price rises? To control the price, to suppress the price, not to increase it. So right there is public testimony from a former central banker of the United States suggesting the purpose of this leasing of gold. Okay. I have another example in the book. Do you remember uh, the quote from um, Terry Smeaton, former head of the Bank of England? Oh, he was. Yes. Foreign exchange uh, in the foreign exchange division. This was a year earlier in 1997, and he was speaking to the uh, Bank of International Settlements. Gold and Foreign Exchange Market Committee. And you might know the Bank of International Settlements is the central bank of central banks. Okay. Yeah. So this is this is a quote from Terry Smeaton, former head of the Bank of England's Foreign Exchange Division. He said, in May 1996, the market traded the equivalent of three billion dollars of gold daily. Swap deals accounted for 75% of the volume. Now think about this. He's saying paper trading, these, these swaps were 75% of all the gold trading in May of 1996. Mm. That's how they set the price through this huge volume, volume of paper or imaginary gold transactions. So are these, sorry, when, when we say, right, 75% of the swaps deals, I do remember the bit, you, you, I, I do this now, this, this was actually, this, this piqued my interest. So like when they say 75% of the volume was swaps deals, right? Does that mean that 75% of all traded volume 
involved these paper like things or do they mean that 75% of it was literally involving central banks creating the swap deals i it could be one in the it could be one in the same or they could be uh, doing these swaps with uh bullion banks as well okay. i'll go on uh with with smeaton's uh quote here yeah he added, gold leasing was also a prominent piece of the market whose growth central banks were very much a part of. So he's admitting that the central banks are responsible for these, these gold leases in the futures market. Okay. And he was he was he was uh, telling this to the other central bankers from uh, Europe, Japan, and the United States. He also added that the central banks bore, and this is kind of funny, actually. He said the central banks bore some responsibility for the gold leasing market since it was their activity that made the market possible to begin with. Well, yeah. Shouldn't they be responsible if they created the market for, for these swaps and leases? I mean, yeah, but there like you have so. it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's admitting they're responsible for this. And and in doing so, he's telling me they're responsible. The central banks with the bullion banks are responsible for the manipulations in the precious metal markets and the price supp suppression for decades. So like say say like some person comes out and they 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 go and they buy some some gold, right? But it turns out they bought one of these like paper things. Like, yeah, it's basically like, it's so insane. What you're telling me is, is essentially the, the same proposition as like uh, everyone suddenly discovered about the stock market during the, the GameStop saga. Like all the people who, who were like trying to figure out what the fuck happened with it. They, they suddenly started looking at like the foundations of the market and at the DTCC and at this firm called Seed & Co who hold actually hold all of the shares of all of the companies that are traded on the New York Stock Exchange and the NASDAQ and all of them. They hold them all like officially there. And then everything that people are trading are just like IOUs for the real thing. Right. Sure. It's the same thing. Same thing. Lots, lots of shams, lots of fraud. You know, I mentioned this in the book as well. The, the, the fraud goes far beyond the precious metals. Mm -hmm. It involves most of the financial markets. I mean, these bullion banks have been um, fined hundreds of billions of dollars for rigging the, the foreign exchange market, yeah. interest rates, bonds. I mean, it just goes on and on. And and here here's here's the big thing. The... <laughs> The largest bank in the United States, J.P. Morgan, okay, which uh, I think it was in 2000, paid $920 million for manipulating precious metal markets. This bank has been, uh, is a five-time felon, okay? It's admitted <laughs> five felons, and it's still operating. Okay, explain that to you. If you had five... If you had five felonies against you for rigging financial markets, do you think you'd be allowed to continue to trade no. and operate as a bank? 
No. But they're, they're in the symbiotic relationship. Mm. They pat each other on the back. And and these fines that the government <laughs> imposes, they're just, they're just a cost of doing business because the banks make a lot more than that. Mm. But, the, you know, the government agencies have to feign enforcement actions, mm. you know, but they don't shut, shut down these corrupt banks who are doing illegal things. Mm. They continue operating. And in fact, their CEO gets huge bonuses, you know, million dollar bonuses, multi million. That's right. Mm. And and even the traders who do the unlawful acts are are well compensated. We have a couple that were just convicted uh, earlier this year, J.P. Morgan traders for for spoofing the markets for, for you know making money off of these fraudulent trades. Mm. Uh, they've yet to be sentenced, but. The way I see it, they're low-hanging fruit if uh, if the CEO can get bonuses off off the same activity. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, they all get compensated very well. I mean, it costs a lot to buy someone's soul. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes not all that much, I think. Well, yeah, that's it depends on the person. Uh, <laughs> set their own prices. <laughs> so, it's it's really concerning to me. Like, so you talk about feigning and like feigning sort of like enforcement, but there's like another, there's a whole nother like category of this feigning that's happening. It's just, it's like people are like feigning ignorance because like, as we kind of, we, we mentioned just like at the start, I think maybe even before we started recording that, that there's, there's like a, a, a this isn't like in obvious right? It's there. And I fucking guarantee that a lot of people who are in the positions of, at, at the, say, the Treasury or the Federal Reserve or in, um, like, well-paid financial, like, high-paid, high like, jobs at financial institutions or, like, financial reporting firms, uh, like, the SEC. Like, I really, it, it, I don't, I can't imagine that there is nobody in the, in the, the, with their hands like anywhere near the levels of power that understands this problem that we are talking about here is the the, the fraud the rehypothecation the the debasement of the value of 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 um, fiat currencies like there i i don't believe that they don't know right i got really pissed off when they all pretended like oh where did this inflation come from like and why is nobody saying anything like, are they all just like, are they all on the same gravy train? Well, I, I think there are some that understand it completely. Okay. But many of our elected officials don't. I, I don't even mean necessarily the elected officials, like the appointed ones, the ones who have like, like spent, you know, 30 years at the SEC, like studying financial markets. Like, I really doubt that they don't understand this problem. They understand, but they don't want to rock the boat too mm. hard. They don't They don't want to be the ones that trigger the collapse. Mm. They're like snowflakes, and none of them want to be the snowflake that causes the avalanche, mm. you know? Plus, they're being paid for their silence. That's the way I see it. Like many journalists, I, you know, I was in the media for 30 years. I saw a lot of bad things go on in the media, things that were not ethical or right, 
Um, but they occurred and continue to occur because people were paid for their silence. They were paid to spin a so story a, a certain way and not mention certain facts mm. to protect certain individuals and 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 malign others. We see it going on all the time. So the people in government are the same way. They're working for their paycheck and their pensions, and they don't want the system to go out, down on their watch. Mm. So they play along with the game. They don't want to undermine the system. They don't want to. They don't want to challenge it. They don't want to stand up to it. It's, I mean, it, it happens. It happens throughout our society. It takes a lot of chutzpah mm. to stand up and speak truth to power. And occasionally it's done and it's very refreshing, but the majority of the people won't do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They're thinking about paying their mortgages, their children's for the children's education. They're not willing to go out on a limb. And even some of the whistleblowers that come forward. I mean, you remember Harry Macopolis, the guy who blew the whistle on Bernie Madoff? Oh, he yes. Was he was going to the federal agencies for years, telling them that this was going on. I've got his book back behind me. And they wouldn't take him seriously. They wouldn't, they wouldn't investigate. Mm. They remained silent. They turned a blind eye. And yet, it all blew up. What he said was true. And this will blow up, too. This will blow up, too. The whole financial system that's built on this foundation of debt in time will crumble. It's crumbling now. I think we're seeing it it crumbling. Yeah. The crumble crumble turns into a collapse. Yeah. I mean it's uh <laughs> it's gonna be funny when it all goes down. I mean I it's 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 worrying. Um and what you said about people not wanting to talk not wanting to speak the truth is it's uh, it's disturbingly accurate i think it's it's like terrifyingly real because i can't remember who the quote is by but someone said the truth is like poetry and most people fucking hate poetry <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 no exactly i mean i don't yeah, want to hear it yeah i don't want to see it don't want to hear yeah. it so like right well you know, I've been I've been watching like people for about eighteen months actually, as I've been writing my my book about about GameStop. Just they've all been talking about this like crash. There's going to be a crash somewhere that that the the banks are over leveraged. The stock market's over inflated. Assets are over inflated. The housing market's a bubble. Like everything's based on nothing. We printed loads of money. And you know, didn't do anything with it. We just, you know, it's not like we built some stuff for value. We just spent it. <laughs> just just papered over everything. Yeah. So, like, what is, what does this look like, right? What what is that this like, this system like crashing down? Like, what do you envision that to to look like? Do you even have well, like a conception? You know, there's there's many different kinds of crashes. I guess you'd say. Um, um, some of them are very slow and they, they take a lifetime to occur. This one may not happen on my watch. I mean, I, I predicted that they couldn't, 
the money magi magicians couldn't push this fiat system beyond 2012. Well, I'm already 10 years off. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I've stopped making predictions because I don't, I don't have a crystal ball. I'm not a prognosticator and I don't have the inside track and inside conversation with the people that are, are pulling the levers. Uh, it's just, I know based on history, things change. Currencies come and go. And I think right now, uh, the central banks are trying, they know that the system's dying, okay? And they're trying to come up with a new system. And it's called central bank digital currencies, right? There are, you know, dozens of countries around the world that are already um, testing these and have, have launched these. And, and the United States and dozens of other countries are, um, they're, they're researching and developing these currencies because they know they need to segue to something else, okay? The current system is dying and they need to segue to something else, right? That comes with risks, consequences, danger, <laughs> all sort of things. And I guess my biggest question is, what will that be like? Will it just be a repeat of what we have now with additional control and surveillance features? That's my fear, okay? And that's what it looks like. That's exactly what it looks like. Uh, you know, are they going to base it on sound money? Or, you know, who's, who's going to, and this is what I was talking about earlier about this war between the West and East. Who is going to determine what, this system looks like who's going to be able to sit down at the table to hash this out and define what the new system's going to be like is it going to have gold backing any is it going to be back like oil like the dollar pretty much now is backed by confidence in oil and we just heard in the last couple of days that the saudis are cutting production so they're they're undermining the petrodollar, if you know what that is. <clears throat> yeah. So, yeah, this is you know, there's, there's a lot of uncertainties about how this is going to work. But if the central banks control the currency, that could pretty, could pretty much cut the commercial banks out. And I don't think they want that either. Mm. So there's a lot of uncertainty what's going to happen in the future. I do believe that central bank digital currencies are are inevitable in our future the question is what are they going to be like are they going to further enrich the rich or are they going to be egalitarian and i you know knowing that the central bankers are the ones developing this uh, i think they're just going to try and line their pockets even more and right now you see they want people dependent on the government. They want more and more people desperate and dependent on the government so that they can control them. Maybe they'll introduce these digital currencies with a, a guaranteed basic intra income. So people will line up in droves, just like they did for the COVID vaccines. Oh, please, please sign me up, right? But it may not be in their best interest. At the top, it might uh, not be a safe and effective. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, safe and effective economic. Central bank digital yeah. currency. <laughs>
hadn't thought about that. That's how they would pair it. Sign up to get your universal basic income only in the digital dollar, FedCoin, coming yes. to a Walgreens near you. No. And and do you think do you think the central banks will allow private digital currencies, cryptocurrencies to exist? No. If they introduce their own? No. No, because that would be competition, would it not? Yeah. Exactly. I think I think the the central banks are watching how the cryptocurrencies play out. They're they're conditioning people to get rid to accept a digital cur currency, central bank digital currency with the cryptocurrencies, right? Mm -hmm. And they're also seeing how how these mechanisms work. So they can uh, define and, and launch their own. How many people do you think are aware of this central bank digital currency issue that's coming down the road at us very fast? Oh, I spoke, God. I spoke uh, to this guy, um, a few weeks ago on the podcast, Stuart, um, Stuart Edgerton, who's a professor of science, uh, history of science and technology at King's College London, like really well-respected guy, read, uh, written a couple of really brilliant books, um, very sharp academic, like finger on the pulse politically, like he's not out of touch by any sense of the, uh, of the, of the word. Yeah, and, and like, uh, yeah, professor of the history of science and technology, like he's very interested in emergent technology, um, he wrote a whole book about um, sort of being wary of technological utopianism. Um, and I asked him about CBDCs and he had never heard of them. And wow. I was just like, wow. Yeah. Wow. Right. So like, like I'm in a, I'm in a, a, a bit of a bubble in terms of like the people that I speak to are aware of what's of what's happening. Right. Most of them, at least anyway. But like, how many people do you think are really aware that this is on the table? Like, really, very seriously on the table. I think it's it's a very small fraction of the population. Just just like probably about the same percentage of people that are aware that the financial markets are rigged, that the precious metal markets are manipulated. <laughs> Even though it makes um, national news periodically, you know. Uh, I don't think for the average person, it, it kind of goes in one ear and out the other, so to speak, because it does it doesn't register with them. They're they're not privy uh, to the lang even the language. I mean, just this the term itself. Think of it: central bank digital currency. What? Many people don't know what a central bank is, <laughs> much less a currency. <laughs> I mean, and in in effect, we have digital currencies now, right? Yeah. Most of the transactions are electronic. They they're done digitally. Um, but the central bank issuing a digital currency, you know, is something else. We say it's something else, but it's not. I mean, much of the most of the money that is created, most of the, I'll call it currency created by the central banks now, is digital, right? Yeah. 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 It's just numbers in a spreadsheet. Right, Ex exactly. What I think this new term means is that it, it's going to be, it's going to be, there are going to be additional controls, if you will, okay, by the central banks of this currency. Yeah, it's. I mean, they they talk about ensuring privacy, but how can you ensure privacy when they know every one of your transactions? That's the two just don't fit together. Um. So to me, it's it's all about 
increasing uh, monetary control of the monetary system and surveillance of that system. That's what this is really about. The, and it's all part of this great reset that the World Economic Forum talks about, that we, you know, we need to shift to a new, you know, paradigm, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. A best-selling book by Klaus Schwab and uh, now one of the same title by Alex Jones. Decide which yeah. one you want to read. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> or both. <laughs> yeah, both would probably be, probably would probably be an entertaining combination. Uh, <laughs> oh, you know, actually... I'd not planned to even discuss this with you, but um, as a, as like a final question, as as a musician, because I didn't know you're mu as a musician. Like I have been having like a discussion with friends of mine recently about like what it's like to be, and it kind of ties into something we've been talking about. So we've been talking about um, the the financial system has like bloated and expanded, and now we're we're sort of like on this downward spiral. We haven't quite hit, you know absolute chaos yet but we're over the peak of the roller coaster and things are sort of like looking a bit hairy in in the future and that like we're looking back at, at times when things used to be more sound like things were based on sound money and and musically and culturally like uh, friends of mine we we find ourselves like we go to like music like i go to a lot of music festivals and i work at some of them and i just i get this feeling that the, the music is actually like genuinely getting worse. Like the artistic and creative expression beyond even just music is, is, is getting worse. Right. And it feels like we're at the end of the tether of this, like, I don't know, like absolutely brilliant empire that created all this wondrous art and, and, and culture. And that we're kind of like staring back at what it might have been like to be that we feel like we're looking back at this this wondrous time that was like are we insane like are things like genuinely like were they genuinely that much better like back well, back in the back in the day <laughs> i think we all tend to like the music we grew up on in our youth i mean i i still favor you know the music i grew up with as a teenager or you know in my early 20s or 30s uh i I'm not keyed into the music of today, if you will. Uh, so, so I would agree with you. We are not in um, a, a great era of music enlightenment, if you will. Um, and I think music is is commercial. It's it's all commercial. So it it's produced. It's created for the lowest common denominator, if you will, um, to to appeal to to everyone. Um, but in order to do that, you've got to quote, dumb it down, <laughs> simplify it. Um, uh, you know, the singer songwriters that came out of the sixties and seventies, 1970s, you know, still are, I think outriding most of the writers of today. Um, and I, I like listening to the music of that era. I, I can't say I, I enjoy listening to a, a lot of the music that's being created commercially and, and, and broadcast commercially today. How about that? Yeah. There, I mean, there are, there are good performers, but they're not, they're not in the mainstream. Mm. Um, Disappointing. I saw, I saw the Eagles live in Hyde Park this summer. And I okay. was just, yeah, I was watching just being like, there is nobody, 
that that could even compare, like to the amount of talent on that stage at this moment. Right. Like I can't I can't think of a single band in the last thirty years that would, uh, yeah, be able to look at it. And obviously, very connected to our debasement of the currency is our debasement of quality of uh, artistic expression. <laughs> I, I'd never really looked at that that at it that way, but I think you're onto something. Uh, maybe I mean, there's a book, um, there's a book or a website at least that's like a series of charts and it's like what the fuck happened in 1971, <laughs> um, and yeah, no, really, um, and it's like it's just like um, like wages to productivity like off a cliff, like uh, may like birth rates, um, like th th there's uh, there's like a whole bunch of random in like non like seemingly unconnected stuff that all started to get a lot worse in 1971, um, the year the US came off the dollar. If anyone's wondering, but anyway, um, off the gold, off the gold off, sorry, yeah, off the gold standard. Absolutely. Um, anyway, uh, Stuart, it's been a pleasure getting to chat to you. Uh, a lot of fun, and yeah, I've definitely learned a couple of things that the the swabs in particular are are just insane. Um, so I want to thank you for your time, and yeah, is there anything you want to point people towards of your work or uh, aside from the book? Sure. Well, I appreciate you having me on, Josh. Uh, it's it's been a great fun conversation. Uh, you know, I always. My my book, by the way, is is available on Amazon and other online retailer retailers as an ebook or a paperback. Um, I don't ship it over overseas. I mean, I still have a few copies that I'll ship to people in the United States if they want one, and they can contact me at sranglert at comcast.net if if they want a copy. I can tell them how to get one. But I like to leave people with do your research, do your reading. Um We've grown lazy as learners. Uh, we don't investigate. We don't question. We go along to get along. If you want to um, get rid of the fear, a lot of people say, I don't, I don't want to know that because I'm afraid, I'm afraid of knowing. I mean, that's, that's what's going on. We're in denial. The only way to overcome the fear is to understand what's ahead, what you're facing, what the conditions are, and your past. You know, uh, the present is a, a is a reflection of the past, and vice versa. So, do your research, do your reading, and uh, learn so you can protect yourself, regardless of what is ahead. Well, that is a fantastic message on which to to end things. Um, so, yeah. Stuart, uh, thanks very much. I'll put links for your book in the description below for people if they want to check it out. Um, and yeah, thanks for having, thanks for chatting. Thanks so much, Josh. You take good care. Maybe we'll do it again. Would love to. Thanks for making it all the way to the end of the video. Don't forget to like, share, subscribe, and leave a comment for us in the comments below. Let me know what you thought and if you'd like to see more of this from the show. Thank you. And we'll see you again next time.